You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm David Romil. My usual co-host, Wes Goldberg, is hopefully staying safe in Florida. But we've got Ben Golliver of the Washington Post to help carry the load. And by help, I mean completely carry it. We've got a great show today, even in the doldrums of August. And we'll be talking about Team USA's day one performance in the FIBA World Cup, LeBron James uh, Taco Tuesday. But first, we'll get into the Big Three Championship, which was this past Sunday at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. The day's event started off with the fight for third place between the three-headed monsters versus power. Rashard Lewis led the monsters to a third-place finish, and in the title game, the triplets, led by league MVP Joe Johnson, took down the killer threes. Johnson led all scores with 28 points. Ben, I know you were at the event. Were you there as a spectator, or were you actually covering it as media? Well, I was there more curious than anything. It was my first time at a big three event. I just wanted to see what was going on. I mean, they've had some pretty impressive staying power. I think this is their third season. Um, and they've had, you know, a number of big names kind of cycling through, you know, former NBA players. The amazing thing was like LeBron was there sitting courtside. The number of players with connections to LeBron, like you mentioned Richard Lewis, but Mario Chalmers was out there. Uh, obviously, sure. Joe Johnson, a guy he played against, you know, time after time after time was out there. Uh, Big Baby Davis, you know, from the old uh, you know Celtics rivalry days, he was out there. So it was, uh, you know, like the seven degrees of Kevin Baker, whatever they say. Uh, <laughs> it was sort of, sort of like felt like that with LeBron. In terms of the actual event, uh, it was a pretty good show. I mean, the fans seemed somewhat into it. It wasn't like it was crazy or standing ovations. Obviously, uh, I'm sure people saw the clip of Joe Johnson hitting the, the championship winning shot and then you know, celebrating with LeBron. It was kind of a storybook moment for them. But I think the bigger narrative kind of coming out of this year's Big Three event is, look, if they're going to be getting some of these guys who are maybe only one or two years out of the league – can these players use it as a springboard to get back into the league? And I think Joe Johnson's obviously the most obvious example there. Um, I mean, he was basically unstoppable in this competition. I mean, he was going right by guys whenever he wanted. He was still getting to his shots. He's got the range to shoot the four-pointers like they do uh, you know, in this event. So that's kind of a, an extra advantage that he had that a lot of other guys just didn't have. But um, you know, the, the pace of the game is noticeably different from the NBA, and I, I would ur urge some caution. I mean, Joe Johnson was in kind of a tough spot there in, during his last NBA season, struggling to play, you know, playoff caliber defense um, and, you know, not necessarily earning lots and lots of minutes. So uh, I would just say maybe pump the brakes on the Joe Jackson hype, uh, you know, the return hype slightly. Uh, but still, I, I would encourage people, you know, when the big three is back, go check it out. If you like basketball, if you're desperate enough for hoops to be listening to this podcast in early September, uh, you're not going to feel like you wasted your time if you go check these guys out. So he's obviously the biggest story at the event. And we've heard reports that he's worked out for a number of NBA teams or is going to be working out for a number of NBA teams, including some potential title contenders. He's 38. He's been out of the league for over a year. Uh, but his MVP performance in the league has been met with some optimism. Is your take that his performance is enough to actually warrant the kind of workouts and attentions that he's getting, or are those a little unrealistic? Well, I'll tell you this much. I would take Joe Johnson over Carmelo Anthony, you know, seven times out of seven, every day of the week. 
but I think that's just because of the, the, the way he plays, right? He moves the basketball very well. He's got the smooth jumper. He's got the three-point range. Uh, and he's played, uh, you know, all sorts of different roles throughout his career. So he is fairly adaptable. A lot of those things that I just mentioned, those qualities just can't be said about Carmelo. And I know he's everybody's favorite right now on the mixtape circuit because, oh, he's he's putting up these great contested twos over Julius Randle. I mean, give me a break. I just think people need to uh, let Carmelo Anthony go. I think the real problem with Joe Johnson, though, is, you know, he is, uh, you know, quite a bit um, older maybe than people realize. He's kind of one of these ageless guys, but he's at 38 right now. I think a lot of his game during the Big Three tournament that I saw was all below the rim. And I think if you're trying to play, you know, wing minutes or forward minutes uh, on the NBA level right now, you still need to have some of that explosive athleticism. Otherwise, you're just a spot up shooter. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure he can he can move well enough defensively to really, you know, earn himself a uh, meaningful role with any of these teams he's working out for. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see whether or not the big three can remain a a viable place for for players to continue rehearsing for the NBA, because I I think it's going to take some time for it to kind of establish itself uh, with any kind of seriousness. I mean, I I think it took a long time for people to look at the G League or the D League, as it was once called, and and look at it as a, a legitimate proving ground for young players and players that maybe were even on the on the outs and were kind of just slowly building their way back to the NBA. And I look at the big three, and obviously it's a little bit more firmly established, although it doesn't have the same kind of structural integrity as the D-League once did. I'm just looking at the the big three and wondering, I I mean, there are some younger players. It's not just about guys who are, you know, past 38 or or into their 40s. And I'm wondering, you know, what's it going to take for them to kind of establish themselves as, as a legitimate proving ground? Do you have any ideas? Well, I think they've got a pretty good model. I mean, the timing is right. You know, it's in the dead time when, you know, if you're a basketball fan, you're looking for something to do. And, it, you know, it's affordable for sure. Um, they've got, you know, a bunch of pretty well-known players. You could see, you know, fans showing up in guys' old jerseys from 10 years ago. You know, they've got the nostalgia element. You know, there was a little bit of tension uh, this year from some players kind of calling out the NBA for not supporting the Big Three, for not helping to promote it. For I mean, obviously, it's an independent entity with its own television deal on CBS, and you know, it's not really affiliated with sort of the NBA's uh, you know official media partners. And I think they they sort of feel like maybe the black sheep, or they're being like left out in the cold a little bit, which is totally understandable from that from that standpoint. I guess my takeaway would be, look this is a pretty good idea. Like it's worked well enough where they've been able to sustain it for three years and, and get some buy-in from, you know, players like Allen Iverson or Gilbert Arenas, um, you know, LeBron sitting there courtside, like I mentioned, uh, Snoop Dogg shows up for the halftime show. He's dancing around, uh, you know, with Ice Cube, same deal, you know, LL Cool J. I mean, look, these are not maybe A-list entertainment celebrities at this point, uh, but it's still people that get fans excited and, you know, maybe get some people to tune in as well. I just wonder if the next step here is the NBA you know, maybe they explore doing like a seniors tour, right? Because I do think that they've tapped into an element of nostalgia and, you know, the league is so unforgiving. You know, once you get to 33, 34, I mean, pretty much usually that's curtains for guys. And these are still guys who can really play at a high level and they're still, you know, worth watching in a certain format. And and three on three happens to be a pretty good one. So I guess my dream scenario would be that the NBA kind of step in and professionalize this thing, give us a seniors tour, you know, and maybe make it a three on three thing and, uh, you know, maybe partner with Ice Cube or something and really make it official and blow the whole thing out because, uh, like I said, it didn't feel like a waste of time when I was there. Yeah, it, it makes sense for the the league to do so, but I also think that the league uh, it's it's behooven to the league 
to kind of have the older crowd somewhat forced out because you can bring in younger talent. And with that younger talent, you get a whole slew of new fans. I mean, if we're anything, we're looking at it this year with Zion Williamson and the kind of draw that he has as a big name out of Duke University. And I think that is something they don't want to lose out on. And I know they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but at the same time, you can you know get rid of old retreads. I mean, we're looking at the league this year, and I think there's so many exciting storylines and feels like it's more wide open than ever before, or at least it, it has been in a long time. And yet, you know, we, we saw a number of great players, Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, you know, all-time greats retire this past season, and the league doesn't miss a beat. So I'm just not quite sure how the league sees a way to monetize or continue building their brand by getting into the big three uh, championship. Okay, there, but, but let me we'll ask see. you. Let me ask you this: Would you pay fifteen dollars to watch Dwayne Wade in next year's big three if he came through Miami or or Orlando? I mean, you'd think about it, right? Oh, absolutely. I, so, I think it, it does make sense from a fan's perspective. I think we all love basketball at any level, to be honest with you. I I, I recently covered the Junior NBA Global Championship, and I couldn't <laughs> identify a single player there, and uh, I still enjoyed the heck out of the process. So I think this is the other side of that. But at the same time, from the NBA's perspective, those are young players with upside that could eventually be in the NBA. This is about guys that can't make it into the NBA anymore, and they I think they would rather just be done with them. But yeah, we'll, we'll for sure. And look, there's obvious risks involved when taking on a team uh, a program like this i mean the big three some of their sponsors are like medicinal marijuana companies you know there was some fights <laughs> yeah. and during games at certain points i mean i'm sure these guys would you know probably no drug tests in the big three would be the right way to go right so uh i think that you know there are you know risks inherent to the proposition but i, I do think ice cube deserves some credit here for having the vision to kind of pull this thing off and, and to keep it going when i first heard it was coming out i thought it was going to be a one and done thing i mean we've seen a lot of yeah. these uh you know semi-pro leagues or whatever you want to call them you know just kind of come and go overnight and that hasn't been the case for these guys shout out to nfl europe Uh, let's take a break here we'll talk about the fiba world cup next you're listening to locked on nba anything you're craving postmates can deliver they're the largest on-brand network in the u.s and offer delivery from all the restaurants grocery and convenience stores and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. That's $100 of free delivery credit. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. We talk about the greatest offensive player in the NBA in the third segment. But first, Team USA started off their quest to bring home the gold in China. On day one of the tournament, they faced the Czech Republic, and after the Czech team actually started off with a slight lead, Team USA rebounded and put on an impressive defensive display, winning the match 88-67. Obviously, this team lacks the talent of past squads. We knew going into the World Cup, particularly with Coach Popovich at the helm, that defense would be a primary focus for this group. You saw the game. Do you think the defensive intensity is legitimate, or was this just going up against an inferior opponent? I would say a little of column A, a little bit of column B. I was really impressed by Donovan Mitchell, specifically on the defensive end. I mean, he was really getting after it, pressuring the basketball, uh, you know, just shadowing his guy around the three-point line. And that's not something that we've always seen him play with in the Utah Jazz. Uh, You know, he's got a different role there. And Popovich was cycling guys in and out, definitely going deep into his bench, using his depth. And, you know, I kind of dubbed these guys the United Spurs of America, right, for how they were going to play. (laughs) That's what we saw in game one, right? I mean, it was kind of controlled offensive approach, no crazy shots, you know, trying to, you know, stick pretty uh, safely to, you know, drive and kick and and create a jumpers. And then, uh, you know, just trying to 
to basically swallow up the opponent with defensive intensity and uh, limit them to one-shot opportunities. And I think really what you saw in this game, though, it was that depth factor. Because once Sadoransky, anytime he would sit down for the Czech Republic and they're getting into guys who aren't really NBA caliber players, the gap really widens. And I thought the United States, you know, multiple times there, you know, really took advantage of that, you know, cranked up the defensive intensity, kind of picked on some players maybe who aren't as comfortable, you know, dribbling or or running the offense uh, against NBA level defense. And that's really where they were able to make a lot of hay, I think, in this game. Um, It was a promising debut. I mean, these guys were a little bit shaky coming into China after losing that exhibition game uh, to Australia, not really looking like they had the night-to-night intensity and some of those scrimmages that they were going to need to have if they want to win gold. I do think they restored order a little bit here uh, with their early performance. But the other good part about this, David, Serbia and Greece both look pretty good, right? I mean, Jokic and Giannis have already stepped up and, you know, against some of these cream puffs that they're playing against and really just laid the wood to them. I honestly think there should be a lot more hype and buzz around this tournament because uh, we're starting to see the stars really leave an imprint early on, and that's what you want to see. Well, I, that brings me to my next point because, I mean, I think I expressed some legitimate concerns last time about Team USA's ability to bring home gold, and we saw some strong performances from, like, as you said, the Serbian team, the, the Greeks team, and, and not just that, but French uh, team as well. They, they look pretty solid. They've got a number of NBA players. I think a record number of NBA players are participating in the tournament, so obviously it's a pretty wide-open crowd here. What do you think of those strong challengers? Do they have a legitimate chance to upset the, the, upset the, the, the USA team? Um, you know, we talked about this before. I mean, I, I don't think it's a given at all that they're going to win gold. I think Serbia really couldn't have gotten off to a better start. You know, Jokic is such a fascinating player. I wrote about him a little bit in my newsletter for the Washington Post this week. Yes. I mean, the way that he does his damage offensively, it's just incredible. Like, I think I compared him to sort of the office manager, in a, you know, where you're just, you got your fingerprints on everything, right? Where you're just kind of like making these split second decisions and, you know, basically running the entire company. And, you know, maybe you're not the CEO, but you're the person who's actually responsible for what's happening on sort of a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, that is Jokic. And, and it's the same deal in Serbia. And like, he's, you know, he picks apart NBA defenses with his passes, with his timing, uh, with his understanding of angle, spacing, and all that stuff. And it's like almost not fair <laughs> against some of these teams where, like, you know, these, their heads are going the completely wrong direction. He's threading these passes. They have no idea, uh, you know, that they're even coming. So uh, I think for people, you know, lovers of the beautiful game style, uh, you know, check in on Serbia because they're they're putting together some highlight reels and he's not even having to run up his minutes. You know, I think they've been pretty judicious in how they've treated him and they've been so spectacular when he's been on the court that they really have, uh, haven't had to, you know, ride him too hard uh, quite yet. Is Miles Turner likely to match up with him? Uh, I guess that's a, that would be the natural fit on USA team. Yes, so Popovich has really shown... Uh, you know, basically, Turner is his favorite, right? He hasn't played Lopez quite as much. I think that, you know, Turner's shot blocking and athleticism, you know, fits in a little bit more and maybe versatility fits in a little bit more with what Popovich has been looking for against the average opponent. The tricky part with Jokic, though, is you only get five fouls in these uh, in these games, right? right? So somebody like Turner, I mean, if he goes in there, you know, commits two quick fouls because Jokic hits him with some pump fakes, all of a sudden the USA is in, in trouble. You know, their one secret weapon, if you want to call it that, would be Mason Plumley, though, because those guys are teammates. They know each other. Uh, Plumley's fairly athletic. He's not the world's best defensive player. The, the metrics, you know, don't really love him on that end. But at least there's a familiarity standpoint. He knows what Jokic wants to do with the ball. And so that would be one other option for them. But, you know, to me, that's one of the biggest questions facing Team USA in this tournament. 
how do they handle the two biggest stars? Because as we just mentioned, Jokic is a tough matchup for them. They don't really have any power forwards who could play up and try to play them. Like they pretty much have to use those three centers, uh, whether it's Lopez, Plumlee, uh, or Turner. And then on the flip side, they've also got to deal with Giannis. And their options on Giannis are not very good. I mean, they've got Chris Middleton, who knows him pretty well and has experience defending guys like Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. Uh, they've got Jason Tatum, who to me would be you know pretty quickly overpowered uh, by a player like Giannis. Uh, and then, you know, they've got a few other wing options they could try. Harrison Barnes, I think, right? Yeah, Harrison Barnes. I mean, that one sounds better than I think it would look. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough spot for them, you know. And, you know, they, they lost some guys, um, you know, like a P.J. Tucker, who could have been helpful in some of these situations just as a team defender uh, or a guy who could add a little bit of a physical element um, and, and just some, you know, headiness, some IQ. Uh, but I think that the USA, you know, not only – are they, you know, kind of lacking in star power, but they're also lacking in uh, star answers, right? And how are they going to match up with these big time players? I think it's a, a very open question. You kind of hinted at it earlier. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Mitchell seems to be really standing out and he seems like he's one of the under the radar stories of this team. And a lot of people have been talking about his focused approach and his absolute buy-in, the leadership qualities, et cetera. You covered training camp. You saw it up close. Is he really that focused? And how do you think this bodes for Utah's upcoming season? Well, I'll say this. He's shrewd. Okay, he gets it. Like This is a great opportunity for him. I mean, he's got the signature sneaker with Adidas. Um, obviously, the tournament is in China. He's a guy who you know plays in a smaller market, so doesn't always get the attention that he might if he played in a bigger market. And... Um, you know, I think also they didn't go very deep in the playoffs last year. So it's another thing where like his personal visibility or his personal branding uh, maybe is not where it, it should be or it could be potentially. And so I think he's trying to embrace every aspect of this platform. Um, you know, in some ways, it's almost like following the Damian Lillard model up in Portland, where it's like, you know, you're appealing to the fans online. I mean, I can't tell you how many interviews this guy did. You know, it's like anytime there's a microphone, Donovan Mitchell is ready to, to uh, you know, hop on the grenade for his teammates and, and do the interviews and sort of be the visible face of this team. I think it's really smart. I think it's going to pay off for him. You know, his athleticism, obviously, at the FIBA level, really pops. He's already had a couple of really nice dunks. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, great defensive intensity and awareness. Um, you know, if I was a jazz fan, I'd be kind of like licking my lips, right? I mean, this is exactly what you wanted to see, uh, you know, from your main guy uh, out in China. Well, let's take a break here. We'll do a little buy or sell next. You're listening to Locked on NBA. Make sure to check out the revamped Locked on NFL show with expert analysis from former NFL scout Matt Williamson and host Brian Peacock. Locked on NFL is your daily podcast on all things NFL. Subscribe to Locked on NFL wherever you get podcasts. All right. It's uh, September, and obviously there aren't a lot of storylines to dive into, so we'll just get into a few, I'm not sure even to call them news and notes around the league, but we'll, we'll try our best. Obviously, a couple days ago, we heard that LeBron James is shrewdly, perhaps, uh, posting a trademark on Taco Tuesday, the phrase Taco Tuesday. Are you buying or selling LeBron's Taco Tuesday affinity here? Is this a legitimate move for him, or is this just another waste of time? Um, I mean, this is, I don't know. I'm not real. I'm not into this. I think, I guess I'm selling the entire concept. It was funny like three times, right? Which is more than most when you're trying to run a joke into the ground on the internet. Uh, but I'm not sure it's that funny anymore. Uh, I didn't love the, the kind of stereotypical nature of his impression. Um, hopefully maybe he kind of like tones down that part. 
Certainly the behind the scene videos are always a, you know, a big plus from LeBron, but if, you know, this is going to turn into like a Taco Tuesday Nike colorway or a t-shirt or I mean, that's just too much. I'm out. I, I'm not going to wear it. I'm not going to buy it. Probably will mock it. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much done with it, to be honest with you. I never really got invested in it in the first place. But uh, to hear that he's trademarking it or trying to trademark it, because I think it's already under trademark. So from what I've heard, uh, it doesn't seem likely. I <laughs> I also read that there were 29 other companies or entities that have tried to trademark it in the past. So this doesn't seem like it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. You know, one of the things that we're, we're seeing of LeBron and, you know, he's he's kind of shifted the power of the NBA and, and rightfully so, so that players have more of it. And he's always been known for making shrewd decisions. I, I know Brian Windhorst's book from just last year really kind of delved into how even as a teenager, he left a lot of money on the table and, and was able to to get what he wanted out of the Nike brand. And, uh, you know, obviously he's made a number of incredibly smart decisions over the course of his career. This seems like he's just kind of, I guess, trying anything to see if it works, but uh, I just don't see any way in which it actually does. And I, hopefully this will just kind of pass and, and nobody will really talk about this anymore. But again, it's September and it's something worth talking about, maybe. No, I hope um, so. I mean, one thing I'd say is like he's sitting there courtside at Staples Center the other day and he's got a pair of shoes on that like cannot be purchased right now, but they're coming out in like a week or two. So he, he understands like seeding, marketing, you know, brand building buzz, like better than just basically anyone in the world. Um, and of course, you know, as, as soon as he sits down at those shoes, I mean, they're, they're going around, you know, Slam Kicks is looking at him. All these different, uh, you know, sneaker sites are are drooling in anticipation at the fact that, you know, these might be available online for some astronomical price in the future. Right. So um, I, some of these things like he just gets intuitively. So maybe he's like playing three dimensional chess that we just don't see it. But uh, you know, if he can find a way to capitalize on Taco Tuesday, I mean, maybe he will be considered greater than Michael Jordan. What what can we say here? I mean, that would be a very, very heavy lift. Yeah, short, short of six championships, being able to, to trademark Taco Tuesday absolutely gets you in the pantheon. Um, you know, somebody on the NBA Twitterverse uh, sent out this tweet. I, I hate to call him a, a media person because I'm not quite sure about their credentials one way or the other. But it was an interesting argument whether or not uh, Carmelo Anthony might be a superior offensive player to LeBron James. Are you buying or selling that possibility? You couldn't even read it without laughing. I could hear it in your voice. I mean, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, it it seems kind of dubious. Again, I know it's September. We're we're grasping at straws here, so bear with us. But I just, I, I can't even see what the argument could be. Like, I understand that there's this incredible love for Carmelo Anthony. I'm not sure if it's... Just that he's, uh, I don't know, embodies more of a street-type personality or he's just the, the kind of guy who worked his way up from maybe lowered expectations, although I don't see how that compares to LeBron James at all. I'm not sure what the appeal is, but the reality is that he's he's a great scorer, or at least he was at one point, but that's just only part of the package. And he referred to the total offensive game, of which LeBron is pretty much incomparable, I think, throughout NBA history. There aren't many people that could do what he can as completely. So it's kind of ludicrous. I know there were some other similar arguments out there for other players, but I, I mean, I think LeBron could I get some votes to being one of the top offensive players in NBA history. Yeah. I mean, I guess in terms of shot taking, I think Carmelo Anthony is a superior shot taker. He will take more shots than LeBron. I think every other, Ooh, yeah, a- yeah, yeah. every other aspect of offensive basketball, I think LeBron's superior at, whether it's playmaking, drawing attention, setting up his teammates, reading the defense, I actually think LeBron is a superior scorer than Carmelo Anthony, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, from an adaptability standpoint. 
Uh, you know, depending on the quality of his teammates, I think he can kind of scale his you know his individual scoring up better than Carmelo. Clearly, the efficiency standpoint, you know, it's it's really not that close. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a, a pretty silly conversation. I think a better conversation would be who's a better score or who's a better offensive player right now, LeBron James or James Harden. I might go Harden. How about you? That's that's definitely a, a much more interesting. I think Harden's passing is exceptional, and I, I think even as great a passer as LeBron is, you could probably argue that uh, Harden's even better. And, and his ability to get to the free throw line, I think, exceeds LeBron's by by a considerable amount. So I, I I'd have to give the nod to James Harden, which kind of seems ludicrous. And and knowing that LeBron's defense has slipped considerably since his MVP days of just a few years ago. Um, you might you might argue that James Harden is a better overall player because their defense is pretty comparable at this point and he's a better offensive player. So it, it's kind of weird to say it because it almost sounds sacrilegious in, to a sense. But yeah, James Harden might be a better player than LeBron James overall. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at an 82-game sample, I think Harden's definitely a better offensive player. I would I would prefer to have my offense built around him. I, I do think there's still an argument. If like you're in a seven-game series, right, and you're going against, say, Golden State, you know, the, the, the team everybody wants to knock off, uh, you know, especially these last couple of years. In that scenario, I think LeBron has definitely proved himself to be a bigger, tougher matchup than Harden. He's had much more success from a win-loss standpoint against the Warriors than Harden has. Um, but yeah, if you're just saying in a vacuum with random teammates over the course of a full season, taking into account consistency, you know, team effect and all of that, Harden's got a really, really good case. And, and like you mentioned, LeBron's in the conversation for the greatest offensive player of all time, right? I mean, Mike, uh, I don't know if you want to put you know, magic in there, whoever else you would put in that conversation. Uh, LeBron is definitely in there. And I think Harden's starting to get himself into that conversation too. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. Well, that's it for today. Hopefully we'll have more to talk about next week. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Lockdown NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're in iTunes, please leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 